So yeah, uh, one slight correction. Um, Jeff Day, for you, this is a new series, uh, but we actually took a break from Genesis. We were in Genesis, and a year, a little more than a year ago, I think it was, we said we're going to pause and do something else. But if you recall, I said we were going to come back there, and now we're back. And you're going to find out why this is so dear to my heart, the book of Genesis. So when you think of Genesis, most people probably think of Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, uh, the Tower of Babel perhaps, Noah and the Flood, those sorts of things. But that's really not the main focus of the book of Genesis. In fact, all of those things only take up like 10 chapters in the beginning, but the remaining 40 chapters are really about Abraham and his family, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, which really begs the question, what's so special about these guys? What is so special about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Well, you really find the answer most clearly in the New Testament. <clears throat> Let me show you a passage from the New Testament that caught my attention. Romans chapter 4, verse 1. Hear this. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, discovered in this matter? That's where my mind was drawn. What did Abraham discover? What did he discover? The word discover meaning like, um, well, you know what it means. It's kind of like uh, something that was hidden that you found, something that you discovered. I've had a very interesting week, and I will get to how I... <laughs> The sort of things on my mind that are going to come out today, the rabbit hole that I went down that hopefully will show itself to be of the Lord, uh, it was a bit of a discovery for me. My mind was drawn to a certain individual earlier. I'm going to get to all that. I'll probably tell you how it all came about. But I was thinking about this uh, guy from the 1600s who discovered a lot of stuff. It was already on my mind, and I came across this passage. Discover. What did Abraham discover? So in the 1600s, there was uh, this guy named Blaise Pascal, and he probably discovered more than just about anyone. Um, uh, quick question. Raise your hand if you've heard of Blaise Pascal. All right, uh, most of y'all. Okay, uh, you probably don't know how significant of a person he was when it comes to just where we are today with uh, the knowledge and well, just let me let me uh, tell you some of his accomplishments. Um, so at the age of sixteen, this is in France, by the way. At the age of sixteen, he wrote his treatise on geometry and put forth what mathematicians still refer to as Pascal's theorem, advancing the field of mathematics uh, with something uh, that's known as uh, Pascal's triangle and things that mathematicians are still using. Um, not bad for a 16-year-old. While still a teenager, he noticed that his father was struggling as uh, an accountant. So he went ahead and designed and invented the world's first functional mechanical calculator. Um, just to help his dad out, 
later in years, he laid the foundation for the modern theory of probabilities. Uh, he also laid the foundation for hydrostatics and hydrodynamics. Uh, he put forth what later became known as Pascal's law of pressure, and even today, uh, measurements of pressure are measured in Pascal's to honor him. Um, he invented both the syringe and the hydraulic press. He designed the world's first public transportation system in Paris. And um, in the field of philosophy, he's perhaps best known for uh, Pascal's wager, which we might get into, and a bunch of other things, all before the age of 39, which is when he died. And uh, as one uh, commentator said, there's a good argument that Pascal was the greatest super genius of them all. So pretty smart when it comes to math, science, social sciences, philosophy. But this word discovery was on my mind, and apart from all of that, Blaise Pascal had a discovery um, specifically on Monday, November 23rd, 1654, between the hours of 10.30 p.m. and 12.30 a.m., that is the discovery that if Blaise Pascal was here, he would tell you was the discovery of his life. Okay, why am I talking about this super genius and his super great discovery? And what was that discovery? You're going to have to wait. All of this is going to tie together, God willing, and it's also going to very much relate to the discovery that Abraham had, what it was that Abraham discovered, and why it is we are returning to the book of Genesis and the story of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Father God, you are the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Help that truth become known to us. Help us know what that means for us. What is this blessing that those people found? What is the blessing that Blaise Pascal discovered? And let it be our discovery as well, Jesus. In your name, amen. All right, put that super genius aside for a moment. We're going to come back to him here and there. But as promised, we're going to go back to the book of Genesis. And we're going to go back to chapter 12. We were there. Many of you probably weren't with us at that time, or you've forgotten. But either way, this might be a refresher or new material. Regardless, Genesis chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. This is the Old Testament, of course. But this all happened about 2,000 years before Jesus and was written down about 1,500 years before Jesus. Verse 1, the Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. Theologians have called this the most unifying passage of the Bible. We don't have time to get into all of that and the details, but I will tell you this. Abraham, his children, his grandchildren, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, this special family of God, the reason they were special and the reason why the Bible gives them so much attention is because they had a special blessing. They discovered something. They had a special blessing, and the blessing, my friends, hear this, can be ours. 
God told Abraham, through you, all the peoples of the earth will be blessed. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever dishonors you, I will curse. From you will come a great nation. Through you, all the peoples on the earth will be blessed. I'll tell you the whole story, the whole Bible. This is the very, very, very beginning of the Bible. The rest of the Bible is a following of this promise. We're tracing this promise as it unfolds, as it becomes more clear. And eventually, this great promise comes forth in the great, 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 great grandchild of Abraham, Jesus Christ, the blessing who is for the whole world. And this is why when he says, I'm going to bless those who bless you, and whoever dishonors you, I will curse. What this ultimately means is how the world shall respond to this child, Jesus, is definitive of whether your life carries the special blessing of Abraham or the curse of God. That's really what it means. How you respond to Jesus is definitive. Do you have, do you share in the special, special blessing or is the curse of God upon you? To say it in, in such a plain way, don't despair because the good news is that anyone can have this blessing. The special blessing of Abraham can be yours. So, uh, Talking about the curse of God, um, let me actually read um, some words uh, by our friend Blaise Pascal. Um, because I know that even mentioning that, the curse of God and the fact that God will judge the world in righteousness, that doesn't taste good to a lot of people. It doesn't sound good. And, and I want to help you with that. Um, Blaise Pascal. This is from uh, his writings called the, the Pensees, which as a student of the French language, I've come to learn that means thoughts. <laughs> so um, these are some of his thoughts. He said, men despise religion. They hate it and fear it is true. To remedy this, we must begin by showing that religion is not contrary to reason, that it is venerable, to inspire respect for it, then, hear this, we must make it lovable, to make good men hope it is true. Finally, we must prove it is true. If I mention that there is a curse of God when it comes to his righteous judgments, and you think to yourself, I don't really like the sound of this. I hope it's not true. <laughs> I hope he's wrong. Well, I'm going to use the logic of our friend Blaise Pascal, the approach of him, and I want to tell you, if that's your thinking, you don't understand it. Because if you understand this message, you want it to be true. Because it's good, it's beautiful, it's pleasing, it brings forth happiness. It's, it's, it's something you want to be true. And I hope that comes out today. So uh, what is this special blessing that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had? What is the special blessing? Well, once more, let's return to the Penses. Does that sound good? As you see, the Lord kind of did this to, to me this week, intertwining these, the stories of Blaise Pascal and the story of Abraham, and again, once more, trusting that he did this, and there's a reason for this. But uh, this special blessing, what is it? All right, listen to the Penses. 
The God of Christians is not a God who simply, who is simply the author of mathematical truths, which he is, of course, and Blaise Pascal knew that as much as anyone. He's not simply the author of mathematical truths. He is not merely a God who exercises his providence over the life and fortunes of men to bestow on those who worship him a long, happy life. So he's not only a God who gives good things to those he is pleased with, although he is, but the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God we're talking about today, the blessing, the special blessing we're talking about today, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of Christians, hear this, is a God of love and comfort, a God who fills the soul and heart of those whom he possesses, a God who makes them conscious of their inward wretchedness and his infinite mercy, who unites himself to their inmost soul, who fills it with humility and joy, with confidence and love, who renders them incapable of any other end than himself. So this God is not someone who just gives us good things and rules the universe. He's a God of love and comfort who comes to us. And the great blessing that he gives us is himself our hearts being united with God. That is the great blessing, to have him, to know his love. That is what Abraham was called to. And this call that came upon Abraham, just like us, this gospel invitation, came with a, a command of sorts. It, it, was a, it was a call. What did he say to Abraham? He said, go. Go from your father's household, meaning leave the life you know and come with me. And that's the sort, that's the part of it that some people maybe don't want to hear. And I want to help you understand, you do want to hear this. Some people hear this, this call to leave. I love my life. I love the things that I want to cling to and live for apart from God. I kind of want to live my way. I don't really want to live... His way, that comes from not trusting him. Uh, let's start with this, actually. Yes, yes, he's calling you to leave this life. Uh, Blaise Pascal, I'll go here. He's most famous not for his work in science or math or social sciences or inventing things or designing. I mean, it's a big deal. You design the world's first public transportation system. He's not most famous for that. He's most famous for something called Pascal's Wager, which was really kind of like a mathematical approach to God, which is kind of weird, actually. Um, basically, he said, he, was, he also laid the foundation for, for probability, as we talked about, and that was really what Pascal's Wager was. He basically said, if you're going to take probabilities and odds and gambling, he actually invented essentially like the first like roulette, which is another thing. He was a gambler. That's what got him into probabilities. And basically he's like, okay, as a gambler, considering this invitation of the gospel, this call of God. So you got this life, maybe 80 years, maybe 100 if you're really lucky. If, if you're Pascal, it was 39 years. But you got this finite life. And you're going to 
possibly put it on the table and, and, and risk it, so to speak, by living for God, by giving him your life. And what you might achieve, if it's true, is what? Life everlasting. Infinite glory and joy. So the possible trade-off is you risk something finite and you, 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 you get something infinite. And if it's true and you don't risk it, you don't lay it down, well then, um, and it's true, then the, the loss is also infinite. It's, as the scriptures would say, the smoke of their torment raises forever and ever. As in hell, the, God's judgment is also infinite. So, basically he said, you have a, a, a temporary thing that you can gamble for the sake of infinity. He says, even if, even if it's not true, you're still it's still probability-wise what you're going to gain, what you could possibly lose. Even if it's not true, you're still better off making this choice because he's saying as if we don't know. He said a gambler would have to take this bet if a gambler understood odds and probability and, you know, uh, what you, you, you chance to win or lose. So basically, you could look at this call of, uh, of God and say, hey, come with me. You have the possibility of gaining infinity, infinite win. Okay, that's Pascal's wager, and I want to be honest with you. I'm not that impressed with it <laughs> um, in this sense. I don't think that really brings anyone to the Lord. For real. I don't think anyone's like, hey, I guess, you know, I don't really know, but the odds are better. I guess I'll give it a shot, you know. <laughs> I just don't think it works that way. And you know something? I don't really think Pascal did either. Because as you're going to hear, this, it, it makes sense. He put forth this, this wager because he was such a, an intellect intellectual person who thought in terms of analytics and numbers. But Pascal, he had more than that. And once more, you're going to have to just wait until I get to that. This was a man, his relationship with God was more than numbers. Okay? But looking at it that way, you have this invitation Leave the temporary life that you know, the finite life, and join yourself to the special family of God. It's worth it. But I want to go a little farther to understand what this gospel call is. We talked about this two weeks ago. The gospel call, the invitation, can be likened to a marriage proposal. Come with me. Actually, you know what? Let's go back to that book. You remember, we were in Song of Songs, Song of Solomon, two weeks ago. Song of Solomon, chapter 2, begin verse 10. My beloved spoke to me and said to me, Arise, my darling, my beautiful one, come with me. See, the winter is past. The rains are over and gone. Flowers appear on the earth. The season of singing has come. The queen of doves is heard in our land. The fig tree forms its early fruit. The blossoming vines spread their fragrance. Arise, come, my darling, my beautiful one, come with me. This is the invitation to go leave the life you know and come with me. 
This is what God is saying. And in, in, in using this flowery language, he's saying, it's gonna be beautiful. It's gonna be wonderful. We're gonna walk together. You're gonna be mine. I am gonna be yours. Come with me. It's an invitation to love. If you haven't figured this out, every soul hungers for love. And please let me testify to this. This is the only place to find it. All love flows from this. Any love apart from this is counterfeit and in the end will prove itself to be empty. This is where you find what your heart is longing for. My beloved spoke to me and said, Arise, my darling, my beautiful one. Come away with me. Hear this. Hear this. It's a call of love. You want it to be true. So Abraham went, verse 4, as the Lord had told them, and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. Okay, okay. Uh, uh, all right, this. Um, when this is described, it says, Abraham went out not knowing where he was going. That's what it says. Um, Abraham went out not knowing where he was going. You ever do that? You ever be walking on a path and you're like, I don't even know where I'm going, but I'm going. So let me tell you about this week for me. Because this is truly the Christian life. This week, you know, woke up Monday morning with an Easter hangover. Just basically just like it's a busy time, you know, Easter and such. So I'm like, uh, Aaron was sick for Monday and, and much of Tuesday. And so I was just home with the kids and... Um, I wasn't supposed to preach today, uh, but our friend Chris got scheduled to lead worship and preach somehow, so here I am, and it's like, okay, I got to come up with a sermon. I got less time than usual to do it. I'm kind of exhausted. Uh, Tuesday, so I'm behind schedule, basically. Tuesday, we had a repairman come to our house. Uh, I don't know how much of this story I should get into. <laughs> I got it in my mind to buy a used hot tub off Facebook Marketplace. I knew it was a gamble. <laughs> it wasn't a lot of money. I knew it was a gamble. I didn't have Pascal's law of probability working to my advantage. Did a bunch of stuff to get this hot tub set up. Turned it on, water started going everywhere, leaking all over the place. And I thought to myself, I thought to myself, I've learned, I've learned to think to myself when things like this happen. I've learned to think to myself, God has a plan, God's good, he works out everything for good. Found a repairman, guy came over, I got to chatting with him. Uh, he told me his name was Pascal. <laughs> and... And, um, and I'm like, Pascal, Pascal. I, and I was like, um, like Blaise Pascal. And he's like, yeah, I don't know who that is. I was like, your name is Pascal and you've never heard of Blaise Pascal? So my mind was just like consumed with this. Like, and then I go into the office on Wednesday and I have to put a sermon together. But instead of reading the book of Genesis and planning out this sermon, 
all I'm doing on Wednesday is reading about Blaise Pascal and just being like amazed about this fellow and his story. And I'm thinking to myself, Lord, I don't know where I'm going. I got to talk about Genesis. But I'm going and I'm just trusting you're with me. I'm just trusting, like I'm going out. I don't know where I'm going. But this is going to have to all come together because I know people are showing up on Sunday and they're going to expect me to talk about something. The reason I tell you this story is because I want you to know God is trustworthy and living a life following him pays off. He has a plan. And I hope you can see as I keep talking that this intertwining, all history is God's history. This intertwining of this man, Blaise Pascal, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, there's a message for us. There's a message for us here. So anyways, Abraham went out not knowing where he was going. Verse 5, he took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions that they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set off for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abraham traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Marah at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pinched his tent, with Bethel on the west and I on the east. There he built his, an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abraham set out and continued toward the Negev. Okay, so what's happening right here? Abraham is worshiping God. Why is he worshiping? Is it because it's Sunday and that's what you're supposed to do on Sunday? You're supposed to go to church? You're supposed to worship? Is that why he's worshiping? That is not why he's worshiping. Why is he worshiping? Because he is happy. Because he hears the promise of God and he believes it. He's worshiping because he is happy. Once more, let's consider the penses. The Pensees of Mr. Pascal. All men seek happiness. This is without exception. Whatever different means they employ, they all tend to this end. The cause of some going to war and of others avoiding it is the same desire in both, attended with different views. This is the motive of every action of every man. Some people have mistakenly thought that the life of Christianity and the life of religion is to put aside happiness for righteousness. It's to put aside empty happiness, temporary happiness, for greater, greater happiness. It's a, a life following joy. Consider Jesus who for the joy set before him endured the cross, saying, live that way. Live with your eyes set on joy. Um, well, um, what happened then? What happened then? He's following, Abraham is following God. Verse 10, now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was so severe. So when this happened, Abraham was caught off guard. Surely he thought, I'm following God. God's with me. God's leading me wherever I go. God is with me. All of those true things. I wasn't expecting trouble. I wasn't expecting a famine. 
I thought that if I follow God, everything is going to work out good, and now here I am, and there's a famine. Ah, his faith is, is tested. And at this point in the story, even though Abraham had the promise, he hadn't yet made the discovery. Okay? Abraham discovered something, but not yet. He's going to discover something real soon. But right now, he's following, and things are going bad. I thought I could trust God. I guess I can't. There's a famine, and I guess I got to take matters into my own hands. And I don't know if you know that's what sin is. Sin is, if I live for God, things aren't going to go well with me. I can't trust him. I have to put all that aside, and I have to seek my happiness elsewhere. I need to find my happiness elsewhere. I need to put me first. I need to do whatever needs to be done in order to be happiness because no one's looking out for me and no one's taking care of me. That's what sin is. Sin comes from not trusting him. But if we trust him, we can say he's going to show himself to be good. He's going to work this out for good. He's going to provide. He's going to care. I just need to hold on to that promise. Well, Abraham is departing, and he's going to Egypt. Verse 11. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but will let you live. Say you are my sister, so that I will be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. When Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that Sarai was a very beautiful woman. And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and she was taken into his palace. First off, I just can't help but point it out, standards of beauty or whatever, I don't know what's going on here. Sarai is like 65 years old, and everyone is talking about her beauty. So that's just something. That's just, maybe beauty isn't always what we think it is in this cultural moment. I don't know. Um, but regardless, um, what you see here is Abraham is now walking a path of thinking, I need to look out for myself because no one's taking care of me. And part of that is, I'm just, I just need to lie. And uh, because, again, I need to protect myself. I need to lie. So I, this woman that's with me, she's not my wife. Uh, that backfires really quick because Pharaoh takes her <laughs> to add her to his harem. And, uh, well, you can imagine Abraham after they took his wife realizing, I shouldn't have done that. And, well, what happened here is Abraham, this is what happened. Abraham sinned. He heard the promise of God, which is the promise we have. He heard the call of God, which is the gospel we have. Come with me. Come away with me, my love. Follow me. Take my hand. It's going to be wonderful. It's going to be beautiful. The winter is past. The rain is over and done. It's going to be wonderful. And so he, he went out with God, but then he sinned. What did God do in response to his sin. And we're working up here to the great discovery. What did God do in response to the sin of Abraham? Not what you expect. Verse 16. 
Pharaoh, he treated Abraham well for her sake, and Abraham acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, male and female servants and camels. But the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because Abraham's wife, Sarai. So Pharaoh summoned Abram. What have you done to me, he said. Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her to, to be my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. Then Pharaoh gave orders about Abraham to his men, and they sent him on his way with his wife and everything he had. And the next passage says Abraham was a wealthy man. So, how, what did God do in response to Abraham's sin? Blessed him. He blessed him. Abraham leaves town protected. He leaves town a wealthy man of all the stuff Pharaoh gave him. And that makes no sense. And that is the special relationship that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had with God. Consider the New Testament. Romans chapter 4, beginning verse 1. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, discovered in this matter? If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does Scripture say? Abraham believed God and was credited to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works... Wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the one who does not work, but trusts in God who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness. Hear this. David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the one to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven. Hear this whose sins are covered, blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against them. That is the special relationship. I'm going to say it the, the, the same way that Paul said it and the same way David said it. Blessed is the one whose sins don't count. Blessed is the one whose sins do not count. They have a special relation with God and their sins don't count. In this world... Sin still has consequences. I am sure that once Sarah came home, their marriage had a little repair work to do, okay? I am sure that there was some consequences in that regard, okay? Sometimes I have conversations with my children where <laughs> even though we live and believe in grace, sometimes in this life, there's still punishments, aren't there? You know, because that's how the world works. There is still consequences in this life for evil. But when it comes to our relationship with God, if you are of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in Jesus, if you are in him, guess what? Your sins don't count. That's a, that's a strange way to say it. That's the way the scriptures say it. God will never count your sins against you. That's the special thing that Abraham found. And that is truly the gospel. This is the truth that you want to be true. When he says, come away with me, my love, this is truly a love that is unconditional. If you take his hand, you're his and he's yours, and you're going to fail him. It's going to happen. I'll, I'll let you know, Abraham, this whole thing, he does it again. 
Like, like literally, he does the exact same thing. He's in another place. He's scared. His wife is beautiful. Who's this woman? My sister. You know, he does it again. And the same thing pretty much plays out. And actually, you keep reading, Isaac. <laughs> Isaac does the same thing. I don't know. It's weird. It's, it's, it's a weird thing. But our, there, there's perhaps a lesson there about how sins have a way of running in the family, like monkey see, monkey do. I don't, I don't know. But the point is this. If you want to understand why we are focusing on Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and more, more specifically the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, it's because we see in their stories that there was something special going on here. Their relationship with God was unique. It was special. Actually, we, uh, Cheryl and I have been talking about the, the title for returning to this series, and we're probably going to go with uh, the beloved, parentheses, and dysfunctional family of God. <laughs> Genesis, the beloved and dysfunctional family of God, because that's truly what they are. Super dysfunctional, but God's blessing follows them no matter what. Through really, really poor decisions, God's blessing follows them. The, Abraham does something awful, God works it out for good. He even works out Abraham's sin for good for Abraham. That is the special discovery. It's truly, this is the offer, this is the promise. Why would you not want this? this? We want this to be true. Well, oh, oh, yeah, yeah. I did tell you. I did tell you that I was going to get back to Blaise Pascal, didn't I? Here we are. So Blaise Pascal, he made a lot of discoveries, didn't he? We talked about a bunch of them. He laid the foundation for all these fields of study. He discovered things. He created things, invented things. What was his great discovery, though? It actually wasn't known until after he died. After he died, his sister found, sewed inside of his jacket, right near his heart, a piece of parchment and, you know, they, they took it out of his jacket and they opened it in something that he wrote down that he kept close to his heart. Uh, let me read part of that parchment. This is what he wrote, quote unquote. The year of grace, 1654, Monday, November 23rd, from about half past 10 in the evening until about half past midnight. And then he wrote this in all capital letters. Fire. Below that, God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, not of philosophers and scholars. Certainty, certainty, feeling, joy, peace. God of Jesus Christ. He is found only by the ways taught in the gospel. Joy, 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 tears of joy. Let me not be separated from him forever. Here's what strikes me. A man of uncanny intellect, an analytical mind. Sometimes we kind of break people into categories of thinkers and feelers. Blaise Pascal was a thinker. He dealt in numbers and he dotted his I's and crossed his T's, you can bet. 
But what he's describing here is more than thoughts and probabilities, isn't it? He had an encounter. What we would probably call this is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. A certainty, a feeling. That's what he, the word he said, feeling of certainty. Joy. Beloved, this love that we speak of is to be experienced. Come away with me, my love, my beautiful one. It's to be felt. It's to be experienced. And the series that we just got done with, experiencing the Holy Spirit, I've not forgotten about. We're not done with that. When we talk about theology, when we talk about the Old Testament stories, Beloved, my hope is to bring you into this, to bring us into this. This was known as Pascal's Night of Fire. He encountered God. And the way that I read the scriptures, to me, it's very plain. This is the expectation that we should all have. And this is the prayer we should all have. How much more will my Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? This, this, is, this is what the Apostle Paul wrote about in Ephesians uh, chapter 3. That we would know the love of God that surpasses knowledge. That's what Bla when, when Blaise wrote, not of philosophers and scholars. God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, not of philosophers and scholars. Of philosophers and scholars, he was the first. You'd say he was above all of them. But he's saying, that's not what I'm talking about right now. I'm not talking about a God to just read about. I'm talking about a God to know, to experience. This is my great hope. When we talk about the Bible, when we talk about theology, what I want stirring in your heart is, I want to feel it. Lord, I want to see you. I want to encounter you. Because the way that I see it, this night of fire, how much more will my Father give the Holy Spirit who asks the night of fire is given to those who seek and ask. I want to create in you, first, believing in this special relationship where our sins don't count against us. And second, seeking him. Seeking for yourself this fire. Father God, let us encounter you the way that Blaze did on his night of fire. Let it happen to us together. Let us together know this. Let it happen to us individually. Help us, help us see the truth so that we want it to be true and not live under the lie where we don't want it to be true, Lord. Help us actually hear the call for what it is, a call of love, and, and let let the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob be our God. We ask that in your name, Jesus. Amen. Uh, so for parents uh, of K to grade four kids, um, it's not time to go and bring your kids to uh, the rest of the uh, service. Uh, I wanted to um, 
invite you uh, to um, understand why we, we want to keep with, with us um, after each sermon. We want to make sure that kids can hear. We have a, um, a beautiful time of q every Sunday, right? And this time is to um, respond, answer question about the sermon, but also sometimes we have baptism. And we want to make sure that kids are around and see what's happening in the church. Be able... Yeah? And, and the worship also. And also for the teachers and, and, and volunteers that, uh, that serve every Sunday, we want to uh, make sure that they're all with us at the end of their service. So for those uh, who have kids to get uh, to grade four, and I, we invite you to, to uh, pick them up. So, and, uh, hold on. I've said this before. Yeah. Children are very welcome to run up here and be dancing during the music. I've seen that before, and I think it's beautiful. So if your kids are a little squirrely, tell them to run up and... Run around. So it's night time for our Q&A. Um, so for you, who are, for those who are online, um, text your question to the number on the screen. Or if you are here in person, uh, you can raise your hand and the microphone will be brought over to you. Um, so just before um, questions come, I have a question for you, Charlie. Let's do it. In French? <laughs> Give it a shot. No, no, I will do it in English. I will do it in English. Okay. How to discover, because that word came a lot during the sermon, discovering, right? How to discovering the presence of God and its, its promises for us, and, uh, like me, and, and individual, um, in daily life. Like, 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 let's say Abraham go to Egypt every day, you know, he had to, to walk with Jesus, with God. So how, we, how do we do that also? As you during the week, you were not, you, you didn't know how, um, how to start your sermon and stuff. And you, you find that person is called Pascal. So how to, to walk in daily life and, and discovering the, the faith of God and his promise for us? Yeah. Well... Um, I guess I could use the words of Jesus, ask, seek, knock. For all who asks, receives, all who seeks, finds, and everyone who knocks, the door is open for them. Ask, seek, knock. And so I could talk about uh, reading the Bible, that's good. Coming to church, that's good. Those are good ways of seeking. But I think there's something more personal and intimate, and that's simply that asking of, like you say, God. I don't know anything, but would you lead me? That's, you don't need to be, once more, not a God of scholars and philosophers. This is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the God of little children who can say, God, help me. God, lead me. If you can do that, you're, you're well on your way. Thank you. Okay. Oh, there's a question. Uh, Devant. Uh, my gosh. Um, and just before the mic came, uh, I have a question online. This question is, I know you have been asked this question often, so we continue sinning to be heaven blessed more. So this is a question. The question is, is, is what? Okay, I'm going to say it again. I know you have been asked this question often, so we continue sinning 
to be heaven blessed more. Oh, so we can't sin in order to be blessed more. Right, is that what you're saying? Like we shouldn't have the attitude, I'm going to sin and get more blessing? Is that the question, basically? Um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a bit... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, should, so, so if this is true, if we have this special blessing of Abraham and uh, God's going to bless us either way, does that mean we should just keep sinning? And, well, no, because a couple of reasons. For one, there's still consequences in this life, isn't there? Okay? Sin still has... Like I say, Abraham and Sarah, I'm sure, had lots of nights of rebuilding trust, you know, after that being taken into Pharaoh's harem and such. Uh, there's still consequences in this life, for one. And for two, like, the path of God, he's going to bless us and care for us either way, but there's more happiness if we don't go that direction. And... Um, and not only that, like, if God is, like, working in our heart in this love relationship, we, we don't want to sin against him. Like, he's so good to us. Like, why? Like, yes, if I do sin, he's still going to love me and take care of me. But why would I want to if I'm seen clearly? Basically, sin arrives like it does for Abraham. We make decisions to sin when we don't see clearly. When we're, when we're not living out of a place of trust. That's where sin comes from. So if you're seeing him and his love, the temptation for sin, you know, falls away in that regard. So someone who lives a life of sin and just doesn't look back, well, it's like, hey, if the gospel's true, then I'm just going to dive into this life of sin and I'm not going to look back. You don't really see the gospel because your heart isn't being changed. So, um, the way that I said it before is, uh, can a Christian just keep on sinning their whole life? You can, but you won't. Like, if you do it, you're going to be forgiven if you believe in him, but you're not going to do it, because he's going to be working in your heart. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, Pastor Charlie, I was just very excited when you said, when you talked about the Pascal's Night of Fire, um, because... I don't know if, if the congregation knows, but the Muslims are, pra are practicing a month of fasting this month, and it's the last week of fasting for them. And in the last 10 days, there's a tradition that there is a night of power. And I thought it's so wonderful to pray for your Muslim relatives or friends that they would encounter Jesus when they bow down to pray for, and expect something to be manifest in their lives as in a night of power, that it would be this night of fire where Jesus appears to them. Thank you. Right. Uh, we'll take a, um, a last question. And I'm going gonna... I'm gonna to pray about that. We're going we're gonna to pray about yeah. that in a moment. Okay, I mean, we're going to take a last question, and we invite uh, the worship team to come up. Last question is, how do we celebrate the grace that Abraham receives without uh, minimizing the trauma, consequence of what Siri uh, experienced? And how do we, as a church, celebrate grace and forgiveness of sinners without uh, minimizing the, the heart pain of those affected by sin? So yeah, um, 
So, uh, there is certainly a long conversation we could have about what Sarai um, may have gone through and the... The, the consequences of that and the steps that Abraham and the family of Abraham, us, might have to take for people who have suffered um, whatever it is Sarah might have suffered. Um, the focus of the text that we look at, looked at today wasn't necessarily addressing that, but that doesn't mean that is not worth addressing. There's plenty that the scriptures, you know, have to say about um, how God's heart is for the brokenhearted and, and the, the oppressed. And, and uh, to be honest, if God is working in our heart to understand the love of God, then we will then go out and manifest the love of God. Um, it, the more that we can see him, the more we become like him. And so when we encounter people who are suffering due to the consequences of sin, whether it be their own or someone else's sin, um, we are a refuge because we, Jesus is, is living in us. Um, you know, yeah, uh, that, that's all I'll say for now. Yeah. Thank you. Let's, let's finish with a prayer, some prayer. Yeah. Seigneur, merci pour uh, ce message fabuleux, Seigneur. Um, oui, Seigneur, on, on, on se rappelle, Seigneur, de ton amour, euh, un amour immérité, Seigneur. Um, comment tu nous aimes, Seigneur, ce n'est pas de la façon humaine. Um, C'est une façon, Seigneur, qui est propre à toi et qui fait partie de ton essence. Et euh, Seigneur, on veut te dire merci, Seigneur, du fait que tu nous aimes tellement que tu as pris tous nos péchés. Tu les as couverts, Seigneur, tu les as soustraits. Um, et nous pouvons, Seigneur, chaque jour um, découvrir quelque chose encore sur toi. Demander ta présence dans notre vie, Seigneur. Découvrir, Seigneur, uh, uh, toutes les bénédictions, Seigneur, que tu réserves pour nous. Et uh, Seigneur, on, on veut te dire merci pour cela, Seigneur Jésus. Uh, que tu puisses continuer, Seigneur, um, à nous donner, Seigneur, à nous rappeler, Seigneur, que tout est une, une question de confiance. Uh, we have to trust you, even sometimes. We, it's hard to. Um, and just like let you lead our, our life, let the Holy Spirit remind us to come to the cross, um, remind us how lo love, uh, in love you are with us. Um, so I pray everything in Jesus' name. Amen. Lord, and um, Lord, I lift up the many people who are involved in this month of fasting uh, that Jennifer talked about. Lord, you have said that all who seek find. Lord, I pray that you would put it in the hearts, put it in the hearts of many people to seek you, God. And, and Pascal's night of fire, Lord, let it be experienced. Let it be experienced uh, by Muslims, God. Um, let them come to discover the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And let them come into a true relationship with you, God. Open their eyes. Lord, we, we lift them up to you. Open their eyes, God. In your name, Jesus, amen.